0: Okay, we're in Romans chapter number 8. We begin chapter number 8 tonight. As we begin Romans, Paul said that he was a servant of Jesus Christ and that he was called, especially what he said to the gospel. And he's been unfolding for us up through chapter 5 what the gospel is and the background that leads up to what we need to know Chapter 6 and 7 he did a little parentheses and talked about the problem of sin. How are we going to deal with the sin in our lives? How are we going to handle it? And he gave us some ways to think about it. One of the things he says is that you can reckon yourselves dead to sin. And so we talked about being unresponsive to sin like something that was dead Talk about my dead squirrels. They, unresponsive. They, can't, they don't respond. And so that's one way. He said we can be unresponsive or like we're dead. You can't hear. So another thing he says is that sin will uh, dominate you and control you. He said if you don't want it to do that, then you need to think about that. I don't want that. I don't want to be controlled by sin. And he told us to reject that. In chapter 7 he went in and said it's like a person who was married. He used the example of being married and their husband died. Now they're free after that. And he says it was sin. We're going to look at it that way. We used to have sin. We were tied to it. Now sin as it were died on the cross. Now you're free to go on to a new relationship. And so uh, he covered all those possibilities, all those ways of thinking of things. And then he came to a rather more uh, basic conclusion. And We talked about like we had a scale. And he said, uh, we look at Romans chapter 7 to see where he is here. Romans chapter 7 is going to lead us into chapter 8 here. (coughs) In verse number uh, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And so he says in 23, I see another law of my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my members. So he said, on one side of the scale, I have my mind. I know what's right. I know what I should do. And I'm thinking, this is what I need to do. On the other side is my flesh and my old nature. And uh, it's on a scale. It's going to go one way or the other. He said, It's going to go one way or the other. My mind's struggling with it. I know what I should do. And then I find out I didn't do it. And so he said the scale tends to tip. On this side, he said, what I want to do, I don't. I'm having that struggle, he says, with sin. I'm trying to balance the two, and I'm losing that battle. And 24, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I want to get rid of this problem, he says, and I don't know how to do it. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus is going to give us something and he's going to touch it in chapter 8. Uh, it's all due to what Jesus did. All right, He did something for us. and He's going to give us something to tip the scale. He's going to tell us what it is that we can do that when we got this issue where we want to do it right and we know in our minds we should and then the tendency is, eh, but we didn't. We didn't. And that scale always... Tips to that side. And that's what Paul says. I'm trying. I want to do right, but I tend to do wrong. All right. So we come to chapter eight. <clears throat> like I said before, this is one of the great chapters in the whole Bible. We come to the high point, really, of the book of Romans. It's pretty exciting stuff. All right. And he's going to get us what we need to add to this side of the scale so it tips in our favor <laughs> chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death now in your bible i assume you see the word spirit there, and it should be capitalized. Is it capitalized in your Bible? If it's not, then you've got a poor Bible. Get another one, all right? It should always be capitalized. And that's where we come to this point now that he's about to make. He is giving us what it takes to tip the scale in our favor so that we can handle the problem of sin that we have. And he's going to tell us something and he's going to call it the Spirit. Take a look just run your finger down chapter 8. Chapter 8 verse 1 you see the word Spirit. Verse 2 you see the word Spirit. Verse 4 you see the word Spirit. Verse 5 you see the word Spirit twice. Right? In verse 9, you see the word spirit again, three times in time. In verse 10, you have the word spirit. In verse 13, you have the word again, spirit. In verse 14, spirit. 15, spirit. 16, spirit. Verse 26, you got the word spirit twice. Verse 27, got the word spirit. Getting it? Are you getting it? Did you get it? You see, by the multitude of references in these few verses to the Spirit, this is what he's talking about. This is what he's going to try to get across to us. He says, you want to deal with sin. Here's the issue you have. You want to deal with sin. Uh, you're going to have to do uh, deal with the Spirit. That's what's going to be. And back to... Verse 1, there is now for no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Now he adds these words here. You have to be in Christ Jesus. You have to be in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? What does it mean to be in him? Well, I think basically we all know what that is. We believe in Him. We've trusted Him. We believe He is God. We believe He will forgive us. We believe He will save us. And we come to Him and ask Him to do that. All right. And then we are united to Him. All right. Because we are in Him, we're united. To him. We use lots of phrases we use. We're saved. We're born again. And so forth. All those words refer to being in Christ Jesus. And I think in there we're going to put for sure. That in Christ Jesus. He is the master. And we are the servant. That's what Paul said right? When he first opened he said. Paul what? A servant of Jesus Christ. So if you're in Christ Jesus. If you have asked him to forgive you. To be in your heart. He's your master. You're his servant. You're united to him. You believe in him like Abraham as we've gone through the text. Believed in God. You believe in him. That makes you in Christ Jesus. This is another way of saying being saved. Uh, another way of saying being born again, we have different terminology that we use. But he says, if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There's one of those words, you've got to get your dictionary, right? <laughs> condemnation. Look it up in the dictionary, what's condemnation mean? It means to declare guilty. It means to inflict penalty. It means to disapprove of and to doom. So it's got a pretty powerful punch, doesn't it? condemnation. You're guilty. You're going to be penalized. you disapprove of your behavior. And it's going to doom you. So there's condemnation. That's what it is. But he says people in Jesus Christ they don't have that. There is none for them. Now, right now you ought to be jumping up and down saying hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There is no condemnation. It does not exist so we started out with romans uh, god is angry with us and now we come to here and we end with there is no condemnation it does not exist when we believe in christ nobody can say you're guilty nobody can say uh, they disapprove of you Nobody can say you are going to inflict penalty on you. There is no condemnation when we're in Jesus Christ. That's a happy thing, my friends. <laughs> All right? Who, now, it's not just everybody. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Who walk. So in order for there to be no condemnation, you've been set entirely free. You have to walk after the Spirit. You have to walk after, he says, the Spirit. You've got to live your lives not sinning. How you doing? You all good on that? You're going to live your lives not sinning. That's what he wants you to do. And we want you to live your life, your daily walk that you live. You're going to live it in the Spirit. If you can put this together, you can add it over here, and you will always come out on top, this side away, out the other side. Verse 2 For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ made me free from the law of sin and death. <coughs> sin and death is a part of my nature. He says, I'm free from it now, it's gone, I'm not guilty, a lot of good things. So, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, what does it mean, anyway? Um, how do you do that? How do you do that? A few questions. Is it a voice? Is that what it is? Is it a voice? Is it an impulse? Walking after the Spirit. Is it a restriction? Is it direction? Is it a presence? What is it? All of them? Who thinks it's all of them? You all changed your mind in a hurry, didn't you? Because I don't think it's all of them. That's why I asked you the question, because a lot of people have a misconstrued conception about what it is to walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk, to live your life? In the Spirit, and um, do you want to do it? I guess uh, I want you to know first of all, it's a person. It's a person. He says, "Walk," and that's why it's a capital S, because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And so what does it mean to walk? Do you hear a voice? Do you hear? I never heard a voice. I never heard a voice. I think there is a voice. I never heard a voice. Um, Is it an impulse? Impulse? I would say very much that the Holy Spirit is not impulsive. We are. We are, right? We can be very impulsive. And I've seen people say, well, God told me to do this. Here I come. Watch out. Get out of the way. As God told them. Well, (coughs) I don't think that the Holy Spirit is ever impulsive. It's not his nature. Not who he is. Um, Is it direction? (laughs) Yeah, 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 definitely direction. Definitely direction. And so if we want the Holy Spirit to direct us, one of the very important things that we need to do Is add to it God's word. All right. Because the spirit. Wants to teach us. And Jesus said. I'm going to send the spirit. And he's going to recall. To your remembrance. Whatever I told you. So where are you going to get that. I wasn't walking around with Jesus. When he was here. All right. So I have to get it to them in the Bible. So we're going to take the red letter edition of your Bible. I've told you this a million times, I will tell you till I'm dead. Take the red letter edition, read the red letters. Get the words of Jesus in your head. And then the Spirit can say, Well, didn't Jesus say that? Didn't Jesus instruct you to do this? And so that's certainly direction is very much part of it. We use God's word if we're going to walk in the spirit we're going to have to do uh, is it a presence? Very much so. It's a person. You've got a person. And what happens when we say we're in Christ or we ask Jesus to be our savior, the Holy Spirit says he comes inside of us. And Jesus said there used to be one who walked with you Now I'm going to put him inside of you. So, if you've trusted in Jesus, asked him to save you, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Do you know that? Do you know it by example, by person? That walking in the Spirit is the best way to put it, I would say, is cooperation with God. Cooperating with, with God. If you're walking in the spirit cooperating with God. So everybody everybody wants a spirit in their life? Be careful. Sure. The point of the text is point of the text is that he's coming in to tip this balance and help you deal with Sin. Are you sure you want him? He's going to come and restrict. Is he a restriction? Yes. He's going to come and restrict your sin. That's what he wants to do. He's called the Holy Spirit because he comes inside of you and, look, He doesn't want to hear your bad language. He wants to control that. He doesn't want you to have a bad temper. He wants to control that, change that. If you got a bad attitude, he, he wants to fix that. He's coming to do that. And if you cooperate with him, can change your bad attitude, change your bad temper, change your bad mouth, change whatever else needs changing. He can do that, all right? He's the Holy Spirit, though, and he's called that because he's not going to come inside of you let you do whatever you think. uh, And you can, and as you're thinking about him and having him in you, there's things that you can do to spoil it. Take a look over at 1 Thessalonians. These are important passages. 1 Thessalonians, all the T's are together in the back. Timothy, or Thessalonians, Timothy and Titus. 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 5. We have instructions here on how to deal with the spirit being inside of me. You want him inside of you? Here's what you shouldn't do. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, quench not the spirit. He said you can quench the voice and the presence and the direction. You can quench it. What does that mean? There's a fire burning inside of you. You can put the fire out. And that's a very real thing. You can get your heart going, and he, God can really help you. And you can pour water right on top of it until the fire goes out. The spirit can be quenched. And so he's not there to say, don't do that. twist your arm. It's not what he does. All right. He's a voice that speaks. We can quench it if we want, now, look at Ephesians. This, these two verses should go right together. Ephesians, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, chapter number four, and verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. You can grieve. The Holy Spirit. He can be silenced when we treat him poorly. So, here's this thing. Who's going to deliver me from this problem I got of sin? He said, Jesus Christ will. You just get in him and you're all said, good. How do I do it? Here's the Spirit to help you do it. All right? So, what do you want from that? Well, he's going to run your life, and he's going to do it, all right? And so, that's back to Romans 8. If you're going to let him do it, then it's going to be all right for you. You're going to come out better in the end, all right? Now, let's go on here, back in Romans 8. What the law could, verse 3, what the law could do that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin to the flesh. The law said what? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And we said, okay, I get it, I get it. The only thing I want to. The very thing he said, thou shalt not, is what I want to do. All right? So the law had a weakness in that it said, here, you, this is wrong. And we said, yeah, I know, but I got think i got to do it anyway. So that was the weakness of it. But he said God sent his son, became human. Jesus became human and he walked around in a human body like ours. He did it For the problem of sin. And when he died on the cross, he got rid of the power of sin. Verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So, when your spirit, when you're walking after, listening to the voice, listening to the restrictions, feeling the presence, finding his direction, all right, then what is it? and we're going to be all right. We're going to overcome that problem of sin. Verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So if you want to live a life of peace, we're going to let the Spirit come in. He's going to help us with this issue that we have of sin. He said, we have a tendency, we were born this way to rebel against God. Carnal mind is at enmity with God. So if we're just thinking about ourselves and not caring what God says, then there's a, there's a wall. There's a stress between us and God. Verse eight, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God if you're walking the way you feel like it and then you are not going to be able to please God but he's inside of me right yeah yeah he's inside of you are you cooperating with him or not In verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Or in other words, if somebody hasn't said, dear Lord, forgive me for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Come into my heart. If you haven't said that, then you don't have the spirit in you. And if you don't have the spirit in you, then you aren't going to win this battle. 10, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So, now it's about to take off. You ready? You ready? It's about to take off. All right. Jesus was risen from the dead he rose himself from the dead the Holy Spirit also played a role in rising Jesus from the dead and so did the Father God raised Father, Son, Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and that was a very, very powerful moment and he came out of that tomb more alive than when he went in he was infused with a power that was just amazing. And so when Jesus came out of the, as I've told you on Easter, I always feel as if I failed because I have not accomplished what I'd like to in getting you to believe how powerful that was. And God reached down in that tomb and said, live again. Whew. Wow. He got up and went out of that tomb. It was incredible. It was an incredible power. He said, the spirit of him, that intensity of life that he put inside of Jesus is the spirit that's going to put something inside of you more intense and more vital than it was before. Before. You were never that alive before. <laughs> you were never that alive before, uh, and now He's going to come in and infuse in us uh, a new power, a tremendous power. And that's going to put in you this power, same power that raised Jesus. There's a power that raised Jesus. And it makes you very alive. It makes you very alive. And there's no question in my mind that we're more alive when we have that. So the Holy Spirit comes in, he says, Well, I'm just here watching, see how you do right now. He says, I'm going to give you something a little more dynamic than you ever had before, and I put in you an energy. And that's a good word for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is energy. There's an energy He's going to put inside of you. And it's going to be a pretty powerful thing. And so you have the chance to be more alive than you ever were a new energy and a new vitality. Twelve, Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live to the spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So he says, there's a new vitality in you. You owe nothing to your old self. You don't owe. You're saying, oh, this is how I was born, who I am. You don't owe that nothing. Don't consider that you owe it anything. Don't say, well, I have my identity. I was born a Viking, you know, that's my, that ain't my identity, not who I am. I was born and I don't care what I used to be. I don't owe that anything. What I, well, Who do I owe? The one who's gonna give me energy and life more than I ever had before. That's who you owe, all right? So. He's taken off, and he's starting to fly. And he's just said to you, you want to live and be more alive than you ever were before? You want that? Yeah, let's have it. Shall we have that? Shall we have the Spirit of God coming in us and giving us a new vitality that we haven't had before? Shall we have that? Yeah, let's get it. Let's have it. I'm, I'm in. Let's go. I want it. All right? I know, and the longer I stand behind that pulpit, the more I know that without Him, I can't get anything done. I couldn't get anything done. The Spirit coming into your heart and moving through the church, that's how it gets done. I've been watching it for years and seeing how it works. And I used to get awful worried. I think, Boy, what have I got to do to make sure the Spirit's here? Just get out the way is mostly what you got to do. You got to make sure he's got free reign. Right? Make sure you're listening to him. Make sure he's got free reign and he gets things done because he has that vital energy and strength. And I'm amazed by it. Like I told you before, I've been in churches where we had programs. Here's a program we're going to get people to come to church. Work for months. Nothing. Here's a newspaper we're going to send to the whole community. Send a newspaper out to the whole community. Costs hundreds of dollars. Nothing. Here in East Shelby, they come walking through the door and I don't know where they came from. Well, I do know where they came from. God's bringing them in. Spirit is out there working. And he's doing this stuff that we would fail if we tried to do it. And so he's bringing them in the door. Now week after week they keep coming. Wonderful. That's the spirit of God working. We got to have it. We got to have it. So, now we're going right off the top. Ready? Here we go. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So you've got a power, so you're vitally alive. Now you are sons. You become family of God. In verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear that you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So he said, you are being adopted into God's family. So, if you're adopted in, I always think to myself, when I go to heaven, I want to see my family. I want to see my mother and my father and my grandparents and some other people I really like to meet when I get up to heaven that are my family. And as I was reading this, I thought, what am I talking about? They're all family. There's a list on the wall there. That's my family. People that have gone up to heaven. That's my that's family. We're all adopted into the family we become part of this family the spirit verse 16 itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of god and so we become part of a family now god's making up a family and you're in you're in right you're in you don't have to you're just in You are now part of the family of God. Here we go. Let's go a little higher. Verse 17. If the children, then heirs. So, you come into the family and you're an heir. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. So, uh, as part of the family, we are heirs. That is, we inherit. We inherit. What are we going to inherit? It says whatever Christ inherits, you inherit. Well, he ought to get everything you can imagine, right? Shouldn't Christ get everything you can imagine? Shouldn't he inherit that? You too. You too. You're not, you, you can't wrap your head around that. You can inherit what Christ inherits. That's what he just said. You're joint heirs with Christ. If so, that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Say, well, what did Jesus get? Well, he suffered, right? Jesus suffered. He suffered, so you might have to suffer. You all right with that? No, you're not. You don't want to suffer. You don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. But we have to sometimes, because he suffered. but he says you'll also be glorified. Whatever he is glorified, you will have the same thing. You're going to be glorified. And we just <laughs> won't it be nice when you're all glorified. What does it mean? Well, you ready? Here's what it means. 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You're going to be something absolutely spectacular. And when you get up to heaven, it, was, it didn't matter really if I had a hard time down there in this world. It didn't matter if I struggled, because when I got up here, it was spectacular. It's unbelievable. He said, "The uh, comparison, whatever you suffered down here on earth, nothing compared to what it's going to be in heaven. Now let's see how far that goes. Verse 19, the earnest expectation of the creature Waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. So, <clears throat> creation, which I would say is animals, their are creation. I would say angels are creation. Right? Anything that God created that has life in it. He said they're waiting for something They're waiting to see what you and I become. (laughs) When I look across the congregation, sometimes I think, man, we got a long way to go to get there. (laughs) Look at us. Who are we? We're just plain old people. Plain, ordinary, everyday people doing plain, ordinary, everyday things. That's who we are. We're nothing fancy. And he says, don't you believe it. He says, angels in heaven are waiting to see what we become when we arrive there. He said, when this finally all, why do you think Jesus came down, saved us, to leave us like this? I don't think so. That's not what he said. Jesus didn't come down and die in our place and suffer for us and give his lifeblood for us so that we could just be like this and go to heaven. That's not what's gonna happen. He said, you're going up there, and what he has planned, what he has planned has got everybody excited. Everything is waiting for the moment When humans become what they were meant to be. He's waiting. Creatures are waiting. 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. He said even animals. Are going to be part of that kingdom. Creatures themselves. And we get a little glimpse of it in the Bible. As it say. "The lion shall lay down with a lamb. And a child shall play with a poisonous snake. And uh, bears will eat grass. It is going to be a wonderful moment. When all of God's creation gets to step out of the Stress it's in now into what God has planned for his children. So it's going to be amazing. He's called it the glorious liberty of the children of God. We whine now about people taking away our freedom. And I don't like it. But what does that mean? The glorious liberty. What's it going to be like up there to be that free? To be that free. 22, if we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, all right, or everything is under stress. Since Adam sinned in the garden, the world was cursed. God came down and he said, here's the way it's gonna be. You're gonna work by the sweat of your brow. You're gonna eat your meals in sorrow. You're gonna have your children in pain. This is the way it's gonna be. You're gonna struggle every day. And that stress came on the world and the whole creation was stressed. Nothing grew like it did in the Garden of Eden anymore. Alright, Steve's got to work hard to get them apples to grow. They don't grow by themselves that way. You've always got to think about what God's going to do like it was back in the Garden of Eden. He's going to restore that. Everything we want will just be grown wherever you want it. Right now it's in stress. Verse 23, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. And so, we're going to get rid of this. I'm okay with that. Shall we get rid of this one and get the new one? And it's. We're looking forward. He says, we're groaning. We groan. I heard a lot of you groan. Oh, my aching back. We all groan a little bit, don't we? We all groan. He said, what are we waiting for? A body that will never be tired, never be hindrance to us, nothing but motion and freedom. And he said, it's going to be like Jesus, and he'd go right through that wall with his new body. That's what he did after the resurrection, right? Said they were in the room and the doors were all locked and all of a sudden he was there. How'd he get in? He just came in right through the walls. He's not held by the material world anymore. And so that's what's coming for us. We're going to be free from sin. We're going to have a freedom like we've never experienced before. We're going to have a new body that'll do whatever you want it to do. And the whole rest of God's creation is saying, Come on, you guys. (laughs) You don't realize what you're going to amount to. It's going to be spectacular. All right. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we see not, then we do it with patience. We're going to be patient and wait. All right. So that's our future. How's that for you? I'm in. Let's go. I could go today. Problem is I'm here today. I'm right here right now today. Now the Spirit's telling me, filling me with all these things, what's going to happen in the future. Fantastic, great. But what am I going to do today? Here's what we're going to do today, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, there's that one again, also helpeth our infirmities. He's coming to help our weaknesses. That's why he tips the scale, because he comes to help our weaknesses. What are our weaknesses? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought if it's left up to you and me, we don't know what to do right. So, well, I pray. Yeah, I wonder if everything we pray for is the right thing. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. For he that searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so when we want God to do something, and we pray, and he says, what the Spirit does is says, here's what they really need. They prayed that they would have something happen. Yeah, okay, here's what they really want, here's what they really need, and let me pray it again. And Jesus prays that way, and the Spirit pray that way, and, and uh, we say our prayers, and I think God thinks a lot of times, eh, wasn't a lot of energy in that prayer. Wasn't a lot of drive in that prayer. So should we answer it? And the Spirit says, I'd like to pray it for them. Can I do that? And he said, yeah, go ahead. And then the Spirit says, here's what they really need. Lord, here's what they need. I'm going to pray these things to the Father for them. 'Cause they don't even know what they're asking for. So I want it to be more than they imagined. And how he must do that all the time. I remember when I started this, we had 40 people when we got started. And the biggest thing in my mind was someday we'll have a hundred. See? Okay. And they would have a hundred people. I won't believe it. There be a hundred people here. And we went a little by that. Because the Spirit said, God, he doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't know. So I'm going to pray that the East Shelby Church will get full. I'm going to pray that. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he took it over and said, hey, he He doesn't know. <laughs> You know, he's got a good heart, but he's kind of uh, so let me pray. I remember when Louis said, "I'm going to start collecting cans for Africa." I told him, "If God's in it, if the spirit's behind it, hang on to your hat. here we go and turned out it was more than just a couple cases of empties a week. and you know, he's turned in hundreds and hundreds of them. Over the last few years, why? Because God said, "I want to listen. Let me pray for that. Let me pray." So, the Spirit is going to overcome the limitations of our own imagination, the weakness in ourselves that says, "Well, I sure would like a little." And the Spirit says, "Let me, let me get it for you. Let me get it for you." So. Uh, He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He prays for us. And so that's for today. He prays for us. He's always interceding on our behalf. Praying for us. Now, (laughs) verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them that are called according to his purpose. <laughs> it's just amazing. Because we look at our lives and we say, well, I don't know. I, uh, what's, why is God doing this? Why does God do that? And he says, all things, whatever it is that comes into your life, will work together joined together for good to people who what? Love God, first of all, that voice and that presence that's inside, we love that presence. We love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. God has things he wants done. If you want the things that God wants done, then everything in your life is gonna work out. It's all gonna work out for good. And so it's hard to be pessimistic if he says what's going on in your life <laughs> i'm not too happy about this you know was it he used to sing gloom despair and agony right? <laughs> deep dark depression excessive misery if it weren't for bad knock i'd have no luck at all anyway that's not it. He says, everything that goes on in your life, God's got his hand on it. God's got a control over it. And God's gonna use it so that it all turns out, in the end, in a spectacular way. Verse 30, moreover, whom, or verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called and he justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. God knew ahead of time who you were gonna be. He knew what you were going to be like. He created you to be the person that you are. And he said, I've decided ahead of time that what I want for them is that they should be like my son. I'm going to adopt them in my family. And I'd like to see their behavior conform to the way my son lived. All right. Jesus lived. He said, whom he did predestinate, he decided that ahead of time, he called them. He decided before you were born what he wanted you to do. And then when you were born, he started to call you. He said, come to me, come to me. And he justified them. That is, he made it just like they never sinned when we trusted. And then he glorified him. That new body and that place in heaven, whatever it is we're going to do up there. And part of God's master plan. He's got all that. He planned it before you were born. He knew you before you were born. He set in motion the things. Things that are before you were born. And when I think about this church, I think about before I was born. Before I was born. What God did before I was born. And it just sends a chill up and down my spine sometimes. My whole family lived in Connecticut. They were Norwegians. They came to America and moved to Connecticut. And the entire family was in Connecticut. My mother's family, everybody was in Connecticut. And my father, from the time he was this big, loved birds. And when the rest of his brothers and sisters and cousins, and there was 11 of them besides him, We're running her up in the mountains and playing and playing games. He sat and looked at chickens for hours. And they said to me, it was amazing. He said, watch them chickens for hours because he loved birds. And that was way when he was a little boy over in Norway. He came over to the United States. His brothers were carpenters, and he wasn't. He couldn't even drive a nail. And one day he walked in the post office with a sign on the wall that said... If you want to work for the federal government, send in an application. He went to work for the federal government, worked for one year in uh, Massachusetts, Cape Cod. What a place. And then uh, if he'd have been there one year, one day, they couldn't have moved him. But he was there just less than a year, and they said, we're moving you to western New York. He said, where? What do I want to go there for? He said before he died, I know why now. I love chickens because I love birds. And when I saw that job offer, I wanted to work with birds. So I went to work with birds. And God used that to put me on Sour Springs Road. And then he said to me, so you could be in East Shell. What he did for no before you were born, he was already planning what you're gonna do. So you can't walk around saying, Well, God, I need some guidance. Well, yeah, maybe you do. All right, but he's got it all planned. So here's what we say, verse 31 What shall we say then to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? If God is on our side. If God is in our lives, moving us, he says, who's gonna stand up against that? Nobody can stop it. It's like a freight train. That's the feeling I had when I finally got here. After the years that I wasted, I got here, and I was 33 years old. And I thought to myself, when this thing goes, you couldn't, it was, I wasn't running it. It was a freight train, just, here we go, hang on. You're finally where I want you. God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? There you go. What do you need God's going to give you? If he gave you his dear, precious only son, is he going to hold back from you? He'd give you, he'd be just staggered by what he can give you, and so uh, here's a free gift. All you need. Be not dismayed, whatever be tied. Right, God will take care of you. All you may need, He will provide. God will take care of you. So. <coughs> You can't get much higher than that. Oh, yes, you can. You ready? Let's go on. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. So people say, you're going to attack us poor Christians. Don't say that. In God's eyes, we're doing the will of God. You're doing the right thing. It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? Who can condemn us and say you're nothing but gum. It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, with at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. All right? Christ also is praying on our behalf. So if somebody says, "Who? you're not so hot. Yes, I am. I got Jesus praying for me. And he's decided what my life is going to be. Now here we go. 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Shall tribulation, troubles, no, distress, stress, no, persecution, people get after us, no, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, war, no, as it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter, sometimes we have it tough down here. It's going to be nothing compared to what we get up there. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so now he says, you are more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. How can you be more than a conqueror? I mean, if you conquer, you conquer, Right? We won, came out of top. You're more than that. It's more than that. It's more than that. We won, we came out on top. We lived our lives for God. We trusted in Jesus. We came out on top. It's more than that, he says. Come on, it's more than that. And it is way more than that. And that's why just our conversation tonight is so limited because of time. Verse 38, for I am persuaded neither death if we died wouldn't matter nor life if we live doesn't matter angels angels can't hinder us principalities that is governments governments got that got that governments powers that's probably dark powers evil powers nor things present, nothing that's going on right now, or things to come, what's going to happen next? We all think, watch the TV, what's going to happen next? It's okay. Nor height, nor depth, no physical dimension, nor any other creature, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Welcome to... The gospel. That's the gospel. All right, you want to say, well, what's the gospel? The gospel is Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. If I accept him, I go to heaven. No. <laughs> that's, that's that right there is all that. So I don't amount to much. Listen, look at More than conquerors? How can you be more than conquerors? Superior, we're going to be superior beings pulled into his family, filled with an energy and a life that will clean up our lives and tip the scale on our behalf. And we become heirs of things come to us, bodies, whole new world, that the, the world's the creation itself and angels included are looking forward to wait till these humans get up here and realize what God did. Wait till they get up here. That's why they were so excited at Christmas. They came down here. and <laughs> said, This is unbelievable. And uh, what were humans doing? they standing around looking at sheep. And they came down and said, I got good news for you. We got really good news. It's unbelievable what just happened. There's a baby down here in this manger. And it's spectacular what he's going to do. And... They just didn't quite take it all in, did they? We're still not taking it in. We still haven't got it. We still haven't grasped what God did when he came down here and opened that possibility. And so we can finally stand up, say, if God's before us, who who can be against us? Are we going to let famines or trouble or governments or whatever. No, no, can't touch it. God has wrapped his love and wrapped you in it and pulled you in, and that's the gospel. There's a whole lot more than you think. And it's more, actually, Paul will say later, it goes beyond what we know or have even heard. Now, we've heard of awful lot in this Bible go to Revelation. I saw a river of life flowing under the throne of God, and there is no sadness, and there's no sickness, and no sorrow, and no pain. Former things have passed away. All things have become new, and God comes down and lives with us. We know that. There's stuff we don't know yet that's going to happen to us. So, that's the gospel. That's where he took off and flew with it. And he finally quit his little arguments that he makes, passage after passage. He carefully goes through each argument. And he got the chapter, and he said, "All right, I'm done with the arguments. Here's what God's going to do. Get ready. We got a future hope. We got a present help. We got a family included. And then he said, if God's on our side, there's nothing. Can touch us. Nothing can hinder us. That's the fullness. I got to stop. I know I got to stop. But uh, that's a wonderful chapter. Next week is the costume carnival, and the kids have a party. So there's no Bible study next week, but we'll take up Romans again the week after. Thank you.